is episode three of our series, Puzzles About God. And we've looked at uh, some various attributes of God thus far, and today we're going to look about God's uh, foreknowledge. So, does God know the future? How does God know the future? Um, we're going to assume that God does know the future. So, mm-hmm. Justin, can you tell us how God could know the future? <laughs> well, Is I'll give like you some. X-Men? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you some suggestions that various. He has a time. He has the smart uh, people have come the up. In time stone. Oh, time stone. Okay, yeah. He has all the. We'll come back to that theory later. The time stone. <laughs> okay. All right. So. Um, yeah, so we're, what we're going to be talking about today is what theologians call God's foreknowledge, God's knowledge of the future. And this is a, uh, an aspect of what's called divine omniscience, uh, which just means that God knows everything. I thought it meant he had all the science. No. Uh, <laughs> um, so what is the puzzle here? I mean, the question we're asking is, how does God know the future? Is this a puzzle? Well, I think it's, it is a puzzle. Um, and the way to see what's puzzling about it is to maybe think about um, how difficult it is for us to predict the future. So think about, for example, all the money and technology and time that goes into uh, trying to predict the weather. And yet, we often complain about the meteorologists getting it wrong. Uh, and so it's hard to predict the future, especially if we're trying to predict it in great detail. But God is supposed to know the future exhaustively and infallibly, meaning God knows every detail about what's going to happen in the future, and God can't even possibly be wrong about any of those details. So how does God manage to know the future in that way, when, at least for us, it's apparently super difficult? Now, you might think, well, look, God has a lot more information than we do about the past and the present, and maybe that's how God knows the future. Um, So, for example, um, if we had a lot more detailed information about all the molecules bouncing around in the atmosphere, maybe we'd be much more accurate at predicting the weather. Uh, If we knew what other people were thinking, maybe we'd be better at predicting what other people were going to choose to do in the future. But God, of course, does have all that information about what people are thinking right now and how the molecules are bouncing around in the atmosphere. And so you might think, well, you know, this isn't really much of a puzzle. Um, God can predict the future much better than we can because God has more information about the past and the present. But a lot nowadays, a lot of philosophers and scientists, uh, probably the majority, I would estimate, uh, think that the universe is not deterministic, which means that even given all of the past and all of the things that are happening right now and all the laws of nature and just everything that's happened up to this present moment, there are still multiple ways that the future could go. And it's kind of a matter of chance which way the future, which of those ways the future is going to go. And if that's right, then even having total knowledge of everything that's happened up to the present moment is not going to be enough for for someone to infallibly predict everything that's going to happen in the future. So the puzzle then is, uh, it seems like it's not really obvious um, how that could be done. So here's a thought. We talked in, I think, episode one about the idea 
that God might be outside of time. And if God was outside of time, you might think that the way God relates to reality and to the things that are in time is by just kind of seeing all of time laid out like like a big timeline. You know, like we, we draw timelines when we're kids in school. Uh, and you might think that God sees the whole space-time manifold just kind of like a, a timeline laid out before him. Uh, could that be how God knows the future? Good, yeah. So this is a view that some people have defended. In particular, Boethius is kind of like the famous, uh, usually credited as like the originator of this kind of view of how God knows the future. Um, one analogy for this view that is often used is like, imagine a person standing up on a hill uh, where from the vantage point of being up on that hill, they can see the whole of, of a certain road. And all along that road, they can see the, the travelers at various points on the road, you know, making their way down the path. Um, the thought is that God's situation is somewhat similar, just as from the vantage point of the hill, we can see what's going on at any point along the road. So from the vantage point of God's, uh, you know, being outside of time, this non-temporal situation, God can see what's happening at each moment of time. Um, so having said all of that, though, everything we just said was pretty non-literal. It was a bunch of metaphors and analogies. So if we want to try to spell out, like, what it literally is the suggestion here? What, what are we literally thinking God might be doing here? Um, I think that it might be helpful uh, to pursue this analogy of God sort of looking and seeing uh, a little bit further to ask, like, what, what could be, like, the literal bedrock underlying that analogy? We know um, that when we look and see things in the world, it goes something like this. The object that we're seeing reflects light waves into our eyes, that hit, hits our retinas, and that sends signals to our brains and causes us to have experiences of that thing that we're seeing. And that causes us to have, like, beliefs, like, that I'm seeing this this thing, right? So if I see a tree, that tree reflects light waves into my eyes, causes me to have these ex tree-like experiences, and I form the belief that I'm seeing a tree or that there's a tree in front of me or something like that, right? Now, God doesn't have eyeballs and retinas and things like that, and uh, so we can't spell out the story of God seeing what's happening in time in exactly the same way we do. But maybe we can do this, and, and some people take this route. Um, that story about eyeballs and retinas is a causal story. What's happening there is the things in the world that we're seeing are ultimately causing us to have corresponding experiences and beliefs. And so one way to spell out this model of God's foreknowledge is to say that the events happening throughout time, including the events that are happening in the future, are actually causing God to have corresponding uh, experiences or beliefs or both. So like if, say, tomorrow I'm going to have, I have cereal for breakfast, uh, we might say what's happening there is that my having cereal for breakfast causes God to have an experience of me having cereal for breakfast and maybe to form the belief that I'm having cereal for breakfast. 
All right, so that I think is the right way to spell out the view um, once we try to sort of shave away the, the metaphors. It's just that the events throughout time, including in the future, cause God to have corresponding experiences and beliefs. Um, I think also, though, that once you spell out the view that way, uh, it becomes clear that it's possible to develop this view without saying that God is outside of time. One way to spell out this view is to say that God is outside of time, and that it's timelessly the case that all events throughout all time cause God to have corresponding beliefs and experiences. But you might think that it's possible for causation to run backwards, which is the sort of thing that happens in like time travel stories when someone travels back in time. If you think that uh, events uh, later in time can cause events earlier in time, then you could uh, spell out the view this way. You could say, well, maybe God's in time, and so God exists right now, just like we do. But events in the future are backwardly causing God to have beliefs and experiences corresponding to those events right now. Um, and so there's, there's a way to spell out the view that, that does not assume that God is outside of time. You can go either way. You can go with the temporal version or the atemporal version of this view, I think. All right. So that's roughly the view. Now I want to highlight, I think, an important drawback for this view. Um, one drawback with this model is uh, it, I think it is wedded to a certain uh, popular but controversial view of time. So there's a view of time called eternalism which says that all objects and events in the past, present, and future, they all exist. Uh, and the rivals, or at least the main rivals to this eternalist view, say, well, look, future objects and events, those actually don't exist yet. They will exist when they're present, but they don't exist yet. Whereas the eternalist says, no, even though they're not present, even though they're future, they still exist. Now, why think that this view of divine foreknowledge that I've just spelled out might require eternalism? Well, it seems like in order for future events and things to cause God to have any sorts of experiences and beliefs, they have to exist. They have to be out there somewhere to causally affect God in any way. Uh, and so you might think, well, in order, in order to make this model work, then, we have to be eternalists about time. And some people, a lot of people actually, are eternalists about time, and so they're not going to be bothered by this. But if you're not an eternalist, or if you're not decided about the nature of time, this might be one drawback of the view that it's kind of, it's fate is sort of tied to the fate of this other controversial position. Right. So, could God, you, you said that maybe God could know the future because the future sort of causes God to know about it, could God know the future by causing the future? Yeah. Could it go the other way? Yeah, there is a view, uh, another view that people have defended is that God knows the future basically by making it happen or by making it go a certain way. Um, here's an analogy for it's this. like knowing the answers to the test because you wrote it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, here's an analogy for this. Suppose that I um, close my eyes and then raise my hand. I think in that case, I know that I've raised my hand. But how do I know it? Well, it's not because I saw my hand go up since my eyes were closed. 
Probably it was because I felt my hand go up. But let's suppose that somehow I didn't. Somehow I'm, like, unable to feel my, my hand going up. Your arm is numb. Yeah, my perfect. My arm is numb. Nevertheless, you might think I can still know that I've raised my hand. Because provided I'm not, like, paralyzed or anything, one thing I know is that when I form the intention to raise my hand, my hand goes up. Well, similarly, you might think that God knows that when God decrees something, it happens. And so you might think, look, all God has to do is decree that the future goes a certain way, and then God can infer that it's going to go that way. All right, now this view, this view that God knows the future by decreeing it, presupposes a certain view of how God runs the world that goes by various names. One of them is theological determinism. And what theological determinism says is basically that God causally determines everything that happens. And that's useful for trying to figure out how God knows the future, because if God causally determines everything that happens, then God causally determines everything that's going to happen in the future, and so, again, God can just know based on what God has decreed will happen, what will happen. All right, that's... I mean, just to be clear, uh, it certainly seems from Scripture like God knows... Well, well, let me put it this way, that God decrees some things that will happen and that God could know those things will happen because God decreed them. Mm-hmm. What's, at, what's at issue here is whether God knows everything that will happen because God settled everything that way, right? Right, yeah, that's a good point. Because so. you might think that God settles some of the future by his decree, but then leaves a lot of the future uh, to be settled in some other way. Mm-hmm. Or you might alternatively think that theological determinism is true and that God just settles everything by decree. Or by decree. Yeah. Okay. Um, Let me highlight a drawback for this view of how God knows the future. Uh, The last view we talked about, the drawback was that it was wedded to a popular but controversial view about time. I think one of the main drawbacks of this view about how God knows the future is that it's wedded to a popular but controversial view about how God runs the world, namely theological determinism. Theological determinism is very controversial. It has a lot of advocates, but it also has a lot of critics. And here are some of the big reasons why people, uh, some people don't like theological determinism or think that it's false. One reason is it seems to some of us that we have free will. And I I would say it probably seems to all of us that we have free will. And some people think that you can't have free will if all of your actions are causally determined by God. Now, that's super controversial. Other people think, no, you can still have free will even if your actions are causally determined by God. But some people think you can't. That doesn't make sense. And they take that as a reason to think that theological determinism must be false. Another issue is that if you say with the theological determinist that God causally determines everything that happens, that means that God is ca- every time somebody sins, God caused that. Every time somebody suffers, God caused that. Every time somebody goes to hell, God caused that. And some people think, look, that's just outrageous. Um, God is perfect. God is perfectly good. And it just doesn't make sense to think that God is causing all those things. Now, defenders of theological determinism will reply by trying to argue that God has good reasons to cause all of those things. And I don't want to enter into that debate here. That's a whole other discussion. 
I just want to flag this as a worry that some people would have about a view of divine knowledge which requires that God causally determines everything. Okay, so we've thought about the idea that God might predict the future. We've thought about maybe God like sees it and maybe God causes it. Here's another idea. Maybe God is like a divine detective. So like like Sherlock Holmes, you know, he's trying to figure out stuff that happened in the past by looking at different kinds of clues and people's motives and getting a feel for like what kinds of people they are and what they would have done in different scenarios. Maybe God is like that. He knows what kind of people we are and what we would do in, in different scenarios. And so then like a divine detective, he makes inferences about what we would do, and so then he knows what the future is going to be like because, well, God's obviously pretty smart. Yeah. So there is a view um, about how God knows the future, which depends on this view of how God runs the world called Molinism. Are so they called are that these... because they have a lot of dark spots on their faces? Or... <laughs> no. I was going to ask if they were like mole people who lived underground. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, no. So the, the name Molinism comes from Luis de Molina, who is a Spanish Jesuit who is credited with inventing this view. Um, but ju- just like the view we just discussed, uh, which depended on the theological determinist view of how God runs the world, the view uh, that I'm going to spell out now depends on the Molinist view of how God runs the world. Now, Molinism is mostly focused on how um, God is sovereign over free human choices. But I think it's fair to say that most Molinists would endorse the following uh, thesis, that God knows for every possible situation what would happen in that situation if the situation were actual. And that includes situations where it's a matter of pure chance what would happen in that situation. Somehow God knows even what, what chancy events would happen in any possible situation. So even if there's a possible situation where I flip a coin and it's just totally undetermined, like causally undetermined whether it's going to come up heads or tails, God knows if I flip that coin in that situation that it would come up tails, for example. Or if it's totally undetermined whether I would... Uh, you know, choose to turn left or turn right when I'm walking down a street in a certain situation, even if nothing in that situation would force me to go one way or another, God still knows that, say, I would turn left if I were to be put in that situation. All right, so this is, this is the, the um, one way of characterizing the Molinist view. And the Molinist view generates a view about how God knows the future, which goes basically like this. Look, if God knows what would happen in any possible situation, then all God has to do is decide which possible situations God's going to create, and God can then infer what will happen in the future. You just have these two pieces of information. Uh, First, that if this situation were actual, then such and such would happen. That's one piece of information. And then 
the further piece of information that God is going to make this situation actual, which is something that God just decides to do. And from that, God can infer that such and such will happen. All right, that's the idea. Um, Okay, so that's one way that God can know the future. I want to highlight a couple of drawbacks for this view. One that's a drawback specifically for this Molinist view. Another that's a drawback that I think is shared by both the Molinist view and the theological determinist view that we just discussed. So one drawback specifically for the Molinist view is that you might think that we're really just sort of pushing around the bump under the rug here. At first, what we were puzzled about was how God, well, at least one of the things we were puzzled about was how God could know Uh, what, like, totally undetermined, chancy events are going to happen in the future. And what we've done here is to give a story about how God can infer which of those events are going to occur, but we're like the key ingredient in the story are these facts about what chancy events would occur in various circumstances. And you might think it's just as hard, if not harder, to understand how God could know that than to understand how God could know which ones are going to occur. You might think, like, look, uh, if it's hard to know what will happen in a chancy situation, surely it's at least as hard to know what would happen in a non-actual chancy situation, right? That's the thought. Um, And so you might think, like, look, we haven't really made a lot of progress here. In a way, we've explained how God knows the future, but in another way, we've kind of left ourselves with a problem very similar to the one we started with. And so we haven't really illuminated much. That's one worry you might have about the Molinist view. Another worry that I think applies to both the Molinist view and the theological determinist view is is the idea that you might think that God's knowledge as a perfect being is not discursive. And that, therefore, that God shouldn't be, you know, finding things out by inferring them from other things that God knows. Now, on the theological determinist view, we imagine God inferring what happens in the future from what God decrees. On the Molinist view, we imagine God inferring what happens in the future from a combination of things that God decrees and these conditionals about what would happen if God were to decree this or that. So both views have God... uh, knowing what happens in the future by inferring that information from other things that God knows. But you might think that for a perfect being, that isn't the right mode of knowledge. God shouldn't have to infer some things from other things. Rather, God should just know what's happening in the future. Now, if you're sympathetic to that, that doesn't mean that you have to reject either theological determinism or Molinism. Those views could still be true, it's just that we wouldn't want to rely on them to explain how God knows the future. So, is there any other way that God could know the future? Yeah, in fact, there are a variety of other ways, but there's only one more that I think we'll talk about today. And I'll just confess right from the beginning that this one I'm about to talk about is my personal favorite. Um, <laughs> but here it is. So, uh, William Alston has a paper from a few decades ago where he introduces this idea. I mean, there's there's something like it in Aquinas that he draws from, but this idea that God is just sort of directly acquainted with every fact. Um, now, uh, here's a, an analogy that might be useful for grasping this suggestion. Think of a time when you're daydreaming. 
When you're daydreaming, you're attending to the things that are going on inside your head. Now, how is it at that moment that you know what's going on inside your head? It seems like the right answer is that you're in some way directly acquainted with your own thoughts, your own imaginings. There's like nothing between you and those thoughts and imaginings. It's, it's like they're directly present to your mind is the way that uh, either Alston or somebody he cites puts it. Um, and you might think that God's knowledge of every fact is kind of like that. Now, I'd, I don't want to say it's exactly like that because you might think that um, the way in which we're directly acquainted with our thoughts is a way that you can only be acquainted with thoughts. And you can't really have that relation to, like, facts about the physical world or about abstract objects, maybe. I don't know. But I think what Alston's idea is is that God stands in on a, a direct acquaintance relation that's kind of like the relation we stand into our own thoughts. It's similar to that. But it's different enough that God can stand in that relation to every fact whatsoever, including facts about the physical world, the mental world, the concrete world, and the abstract world. I should, by the way, I should also credit uh, my friend Dan for helping me think through this. This was, uh, um, he was actually really helpful in using, like, especially with this analogy about thinking about our relation to our own thoughts and stuff. Um, he actually convinced me that this view is a plausible view. But anyway, now if that view of God's knowledge is right, that entails that God, um, well, assuming that God knows the future at all, uh, which we are assuming, that entails that God knows the future by being directly acquainted with facts about the future. And there are different ways to spell that out. One way to spell it out is to take that controversial but popular eternalist view of time and say, look, the future events and objects, are, they actually exist. They're out there. Um, and God is directly acquainted with them. But if you don't like eternalism, there are other ways to go. You might think that, um, that various sentences, thoughts, and propositions about the future uh, instantiate the property of being true. And God then could know the future by being acquainted with those facts, like that this sentence is true, or that this thought is true, or that this proposition is true about the future. Or you might think, as some philosophers do, that objects have these sort of primitive future-directed properties. Like maybe I just have this primitive property of being such that I'm going to be a professor. Um, and then God could know what's going to happen in the future by being like directly acquainted with facts like that. That I'm having this property of going to be a professor or something like that. Alright, so there are various ways you could try to spell this out. Um, and like I said, this is my preferred view, but here's a drawback that you might find bothersome. Uh, one drawback of this view is you might think that it's a little bit mysterious. Because like I said, um, what's being posited here is not really an acquaintance relation that, that we really have any direct um, acquaintance with. <laughs> um, since this is uh, sort of a relation that we don't really experience, uh, it's only maybe similar to a relation experience. You might think, well, it's kind of mysterious. To some extent, it's limited in the way, in terms of its ability to illuminate how God knows the future. And, and maybe you'll have some qualms about that. I think that's definitely one drawback in this story.